0: Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. If you've seen the new Netflix series Self Made, you might think you know something about Madam C.J. Walker. She was a washerwoman in early 1900s St. Louis, and she became the wealthiest woman of her day by launching a hair care empire. To do so, she battled not only prejudice, but also her arch rival, Addie Monroe. When she moved to Indianapolis, Addie followed, tormenting her just like a soap opera villain. Well, as you might guess, that's just the Netflix, ver- Netflix version. In real life, there wasn't even an Addie Monroe. The character is a highly fictionalized version of St. Louis's beloved Annie Malone, and Annie Malone never moved to Indianapolis. So, joining us today to tell us the true story behind the Netflix series Self Made is Alilia Bundles. She is a public speaker and a former television executive and producer and journalist. And she is both the great-granddaughter of Madam C.J. Walker and her her biographer. So, A'Lelia, welcome to the show.
1: Delighted to be with you.
0: And we're also joined today by Brent Legs. He is the Executive Director of the African American Cultural Heritage Action Fund for the National Trust for Historic Preservation. Brent, welcome to the program.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: And finally, we're joined today by Gwen Moore. She is the Curator of Urban Landscape and Community Identity for the Missouri Historical Society. Gwen, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure. A'Lelia, let's start with you. You literally wrote the book on your great-grandmother's remarkable life. So who, in a nutshell, was the real Madam C.J. Walker?
1: So Madam Walker is a woman who moved to St. Louis in the late 1880s when she was a widowed 20-year-old with a, a daughter and joined her brothers who were barbers in St. Louis and really benefited from being in that community from the women of the church at St. Paul AME and who then uh, transformed herself after having been a washerwoman until she was 38 into a successful entrepreneur who employed thousands of women, became a uh, philanthropist, a political activist, and a patron of the arts.
0: And she was a really big deal. I've seen some accounts that suggest that um, she was the wealthiest African-American woman of her day and and maybe for many days after that. Uh, What's the sense of just how much money this company made?
1: Well, you know, I think a lot of people kind of get into the what my friend Tyrone McKinley Freeman calls the millionaire sleep stakes. and that actually is not that important to me, <laughs> uh, you know, who was first and all of that. I, what I, The way that I measure her life is the women that she employed and the generational r- wealth that she created and all of the other good deeds. But in fact, with Madam Walker's life, when Madam Walker died, because we're really fortunate to have thousands of pages of records and letters and photographs, we actually can calculate her, her net worth. and so when she died, her personal estate, assets, jewelry cars, etc worth between six and seven hundred thousand dollars. The value of her company had she sold it on the day she died would have been between one and two million dollars based on the last two years of the sales and the year after her death. So in one of those years, her sales were almost $600,000.
0: And this was someone who had been born into some great poverty and, and right after the Civil War. Is that correct? First
1: child in her family born free on a plantation in Delta, Louisiana, right across the river from Vicksburg. So yes, she was born into great poverty into an area that had been devastated during the Civil War.
0: Hmm. Now, Brett, um, you work for the National Trust for Historic Preservation, and your organization recently published an interview with A'Lelia illuminating some of the areas where the Netflix series differs from real life when it it comes to Madam C.J. Walker. Why was that something that was important to your organization?
2: Yeah, so the National Trust in 2014, we partnered with a former owner's of the estate, Ambassador Harold E. Doley Jr. and his wife, Helena, to protect the estate in perpetuity. And through our partnership, both with Lilia and others, we now hold a preservation easement on our first African American National Historic Landmark in the United States. And this ensures that no future owner can demolish the building or negatively alter the building. And we did this not just because the building was architecturally significant or historically significant, but this place called Villa Lawaro, it stands as a lasting testimony and reminder of Madam Walker's remarkable life and the entrepreneurial spirit that many black women had in the 20th century. Mm. So we partnered to ensure that that place stands forever that the current property owner can develop a viable plan for reuse and interpretation. And the big goal is that more Americans will be able to tour and interact with this physical history and, and fully understand the real Madam Walker. Mm-hmm. And so that was partly the intent for us collaborating with Alilio to to tell the story,
0: and this estate—I mean, this this building—is gorgeous, and it's um, it's also, I guess, you could say it's over the top. Like this is certainly a testament to just how far um, this woman had come from her humble beginnings. This is a mansion.
2: It is a mansion, and so a lot of my work is deeply rooted in identifying, documenting, and helping communities to preserve African American historic places and as you can imagine many black historic spaces are unadorned simple historic buildings but when you have the opportunity to see a place with its grandness and and beauty the elegance that is embodied within villa Lawaro, it is of exceptional significance it's a rare archetype in american history and I believe that we could argue that it is one of the most significant women's history sites in America. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to find a place that is both historically significant associated to a black woman, but the building is also significant to a black architect. Villa Lawaro was designed by Bertner Tandy, first licensed black architect in the state of New York. So for many reasons, this place is. It's really important. Hmm.
0: Now, in addition to being the story of one black woman, self-made, also gets into another black woman entrepreneur, and that's um, somebody who's based on Annie Malone, who is a name that's familiar to many St. Louisans. Um, and Gwen, that's one of the reasons we wanted to also invite you to join this conversation cool. is that for those of us in St. Louis, Annie Malone is a name you hear so many times. Um, what are some of the parts of her legacy that are still around town today?
3: Well, first of all, we have the, the Annie Malone Family and Children's Services Center, which is uh, the original uh, Colored Orphan Home that became named after Annie Malone because she donated the money and the land for the building of the Colored Orphan's Home. And she was on the executive board for many, many years. And so they decided that they, to honor her. They would name the Annie Malone home after her. Uh, there Also, we have that annual parade every year that honors Annie Malone and helps to raise funds for the Annie Malone Family and Children's Center. So those are two things uh, that's part of the legacy. Uh, I always say that one of the tragedies here in St. Louis is that we did not preserve Poro College, which she built in 1918 and was one of the first buildings of its kind built by a black woman. It was Poro College, but it was also a, a complex uh, there were auditoriums. There were restaurants. There was the famous roof Garden. Uh, hmm. It was at Saint in DeVille at Saint Ferdinand in Pendleton. Uh, when she left Saint Louis, of course, in, in 1930 and moved to Chicago, uh, the building was still there. Uh, it went into. Um, the, it was bought in uh, I think 1937 uh, by the Mississippi Valley uh, Company, uh, and then it was. It w- unfortunately it was um, um, it was razed. Hmm. Uh, which is a real tragedy because it's such a historic building, and it would have been such an important uh, part of her legacy to have that brick and mortar building here. Hmm. Uh, but, but she was her life in a, in a, in a way really parallels. I, I think Madame Walker's. I think Miss Bundles would probably agree that they were both born women, born and in, in not of any means. They were self-made uh... she lost her parents at an early age uh... she was the youngest of 11 siblings and she was raised by her uh... by her by her oldest sister and her other siblings I think it's interesting that she moved to, uh, she was born in Metropolis, Illinois, right outside Metropolis, Illinois, and eventually moved to Brooklyn, Illinois. At that time, it was called Lovejoy, which was founded by another black woman, another amazing black woman, Priscilla Baltimore. So it's all this rich black history of black women. And like like Madam C.J. Walker, she was a race woman. Uh, this was a time in in history where there, the whole black community was infused with ideas of self-help, uh, race advancement, uh, uplifting the race. And that's what these two women believed in. They believed that their wealth had to be used to help other black people, particularly black women. So they had a feminist consciousness and a race consciousness.
0: Hmm. Now, the film, uh, the Netflix series, shows... Um Uh, Madam Walker getting her start by selling products for Annie Malone. Uh, A'Lelia, do we know if that's how uh, Madam Walker did first get into the hair care industry?
1: So, yes, she definitely was a Malone agent, and I was able to do um, some of the first primary source research that documented that when Madam Walker left St. Louis and moved to Denver, that she was selling Poro products, which she sold for probably a year to a year and a half. I think that she first learned about hair care from her brothers who were barbers, and people who know, and the Missouri Historical Society helped me document that because they're listed in the city directories, in the St. Louis City directories in the 1880s as barbers. I think she learned about barbering, or learned about hair care through them, She then sold Malone's products, and then when she was in Denver, she worked as a cook for a pharmacist who had the largest pharmacy west of the Mississippi River. And he was familiar with products that had been made before Madam Walker made her products and before Malone made her products that had similar
0: formulas. Okay. And so that's the true story of of how Madam Walker got started. And we're going to need to take a quick break here. But when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about the relationship between these two women and some of the heavy fictionalization that that went into this Netflix series. So our guests today are Gwen Moore of the Missouri Historical Society. We're also talking to A'Lelia Bundles, who's the biographer and great-granddaughter of Madam C.J. Walker. And we're joined by Brent Leggs of the National Trust for Historic Preservation. We need to take a quick break, and we'll be back shortly to continue this conversation. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry.
3: Choosewood.com.
0: And now back to our conversation. We're talking about the Netflix series Self Made, which explores the life of African-American entrepreneur Sarah Breedlove, better known as Madam C.J. Walker. Our guests today are experts in her life and legacy. That includes Gwen Moore, the curator of urban landscape and community identity for the Missouri Historical Society, and Brent Legs, the executive director of the African-American Cultural Heritage Action Fund for the National Trust for Historic Preservation. And last but certainly not least, A'Lelia Bundles, who is Madam C.J. Walker's biographer and also her great-granddaughter. Now, one part of the Netflix series I wanted to talk uh, with my guests about has to do with how Madam Walker got her start selling products for the Annie Malone character. And as A'Lelia explained just now, it does seem that that is how she got her start. But in the Netflix series, um, the Annie Malone character says flat out that women won't buy these hair products from some who looks like Madam Walker. And in the film, Madam Walker goes around her back and proves her wrong. Let's listen to a scene where Madam Walker, then still going by Sarah Breedlove, announces that she's managed to sell these hair care products.
1: Sarah, what are you doing here? I did it.
0: I sold 20 tins. What?
3: Now?
1: I borrowed a few tins of your hair grower. After I told you no? Just to see
0: if I could sell them. But you
1: can't. It don't make sense. I figured if I just showed you. You stole from me? After everything I've done for you? No. No, no, no. no. I would never steal from you. I brought all the money. It's all for I you. I got you back on your feet. I confided in you. How could you? I just wanted to show you that I can sell. And we can make a lot of money together. I got some ideas. Are you out of your mind? Even in your Sunday best, you look like you just stepped off the plantation. These are my products, and I will not have the likes of you associated with them.
0: And that's from the new Netflix series, Self Made. Now, Gwen, the Addie Monroe character is a real viper. Was that yes. the case for Annie Malone um, uh, in real I, life?
3: You know, I've, I've heard that uh, the filmmakers said that this wasn't really Annie Malone. It was a composite Um but when I first saw the film, I said, oh, I, I thought I didn't hear right because they said Addie Monroe. I said, oh, no, that's Annie Malone. Uh, that was not Annie Malone. It's a, a fictionalized version, and it, I don't think it has any – it doesn't comport with who this woman really was at all. Absolutely not.
0: Now, in the film, this character suggests that people buy her hair products because they want to look like a biracial woman like she <laughs> is in the film. It Was Annie Malone uh, biracial? Okay. No, she was not. Okay. No,
3: she she was. People describe she was she was. Uh, she, if you saw her, you would say this is a black woman. You would mm-hmm. not have thought this is a highly light skinned woman or this is a, a mixed race woman. You she she looked like.
0: Well, you can't see me, uh, but she looked like me, me, and so, Miss Bundles. <laughs> so she's certainly not somebody who would have gone around um, saying bad things about women who were not biracial. That's that's I, clearly a Netflix um, imagination. That, yeah, that's that's fiction. A'Lelia, was there a falling out between these two women when Madam C.J. Walker started her own company and, and ended up becoming such a success?
1: Well, yes, there is something that created a rift between the two women, and they and they parted ways. But I do, I just have to agree with Miss Moore. This is this is a character that the head writer and the showrunners invented, and they wanted to develop these themes. They have said of colorism, and I, you know, I cringed when I just heard that particular clip. I have always. Thought of Annie Malone as Madame. They the two women were equals. They were rivals, but they were equals, and they both did a lot for the community. So, this portrayal is not something that I certainly. You know, agree with. I, I just have to just say that really frankly, sure. that Annie Malone is a hero not just in St. Louis, but to many people who understand that both women were really successful entrepreneurs. But yes, there was a falling out when they when when Sarah breelove moved to Denver and her good friend Charles Joseph Walker joined her from St. Louis. Uh, she began to make her own products, and there's a I found like a newspaper. Some letters to the editor with some of Madam Walker's customers saying, you know, we didn't know about Annie Malone before you moved here, and we love Sarah. You know, so it got to be kind of, you know, kind of a personal petty thing in a way, but she wanted to be her own boss, and so that's what she did. She started her own company.
0: Now, in terms of some of the hurdles that she faced in order to do this, we know now that this Addie Monroe character following her around the country taunting her, that is purely fiction. But what were some of the big roadblocks she had to overcome to get this company to what it was?
3: So it was
1: she said first of all it was her some of the people closest to her who told her she wouldn't succeed. Mm. And that is and I think that's why people who have watched it when they put us if you can put aside the um, fictionalized Addie Monroe character and the over-dramatization, it really is a story of a woman developing overcoming her own personal insecurities and empowering other women, helping to develop a business and she would say the first thing you have to do is have a great product and then you have to advertise it and she spent most of the year on the road training women making speeches um, and helping people to become leaders. She had a really great uh, ability to surround herself with really talented um, executives. Her executive suite, C-suite, as we would call it now, were people like F.B. Ransom, who is portrayed in the film. But it does leave out um, other mentors of hers from St. Louis, like Jesse Batts Robinson, who was a schoolteacher and a member of St. Paul AME, and whose husband, C.K. Robinson, was editor of a newspaper. So there were other women who mentored her. So she was fortunate to have that mentoring. She could model herself after women's organizations like the National Association of Colored Women and like the Court of Calamthe with the Women's Auxiliary of the Knights of Pythias and then use those examples and turn around and empower other women and organize them.
0: And one of the things I wanted to make sure that we got a chance to touch on in our last couple minutes here and that is that um, not only has this brand come back I understand with your blessing but that um, the Madam C.J. Walker brand is now also tied in to the owners of uh, uh, her former estate. Brent, can you help us understand the connections there?
2: Yeah, so in December 2018, the Little was purchased by the New Voices Foundation under the leadership of entrepreneur Richard Lou Dennis, and Mr. Dennis, he resurrected Madame Walker's dormant legacy business, created a partnership with Sephora, currently selling products under Madam C.J. Walker's name, which is fantastic. And and the foundation, they envision reusing Villa Lawaro as a center for female entrepreneur, entrepreneurship to create a, a unique space for women of color to build on the remarkable life and legacy of Madam C.J. Walker.
0: A'Lelia, that's got to be so exciting. Um, First, that work, but also then the fact that now your great-grandmothers, that there are products now again using this brand name.
1: Well, yeah, it really is a moment where all of these things are coming together with the products at MCJW. But also one of the things Ms. Moore was saying is like having this tangible evidence where the poor, where Poro College was torn down in Indianapolis, the Madam Walker Legacy Center, also a National Historic Landmark, still stands. It was built in 1927. But this allows us to tell the story, and I think it really is a case to encourage people to keep their records, to for historic preservation societies to preserve buildings, because once those tangible that tangible evidence is gone, it becomes very very difficult to tell the stories of these great people.
0: And Gwen, last question here. I know you mentioned to our producer there's a couple books you wanted to recommend for people who'd want to know more about the real Madam C. J. Walker. Um, could you just tell us those uh, those couple books you'd want to make sure that we know about oh. today?
3: No, the, the the book that I would really recommend is Amelia Bundle's book. Uh, I, I was just telling her uh, before we got started, I, I read her book when it first came out. It has become an invaluable reference work. It's, it's, it is meticulously
0: researched. And so that's a uh, rave from one guest to another guest. That that book <laughs> well, is... I'm, I
3: just, I'm, I'm, and and I, I tell people, I recommend this book to people. And I tell them, hey, don't be, you know, don't be kind of put off by all the footnotes. It reads like a novel. It is just an amazing book. She talks a lot about St. Louis. And uh, Annie Malone, and uh, it's, that is the book. Now, there was another book that came out a little later by Beverly Lowry that also uh, talks about Madam C.J. Walker. But Olivia Bundle's book is the standard. Okay. It's the gold
1: standard. And that's
0: called On Her Own Ground The Life and Times oh, of, of Madam C.J. Walker. And I think, it's been,
1: haven't they renamed it? Right. So, the, so, in order to use the movie tie in art with Octavia Spitzer on the cover, it's now called Self Made.
0: Okay. And uh, I do want to thank all my guests for their time today. We are out of time, but Gwen Moore, uh, Brent Legs, and A'Lelia Bundles, thank you so much for joining us. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.